Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. You're with Breakfast with Lindley here. And coming on to do why it matters with us is Adrian Abraham. Adrian, on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you with your life? A complete honest answer. Very happy. But there are certain areas that could do with a little bit of improvement. Example, more sleep. Will be, uh, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you know Singapore is among the happiest countries in Asia? And there's more happy news. According to the 2023 World Happiness Report, Singaporeans are happy this year compared to a year ago. Yeah, no surprises for Finland as well. The country ranks as the world's happiest country. Get this, for the sixth consecutive year, which is an unprecedented feat in an annual United Nations index that's now been published for more than a decade. Now, the latest report compiled data from surveys conducted in more than 150 countries and territories to measure happiness based on average evaluations over a three-year period. And Singapore is the first Asian country to appear in that list is ranked the 25th happiest country in the world, uh, followed by the United Arab Emirates at 26 and Taiwan at 27. And the yardsticks to measure happiness? A number of factors, including social support, income, health, freedom, generosity, and absence of corruption, all to evaluate the differences among people's happiness levels in different parts of the world. And to give us a better understanding of the World Happiness Survey and why it matters, we have on the line Nick Poutui, Professor of Economics, at Nanyang Technological University, who has authored books on the economics of happiness. Good morning, Prof. Good morning, Emily. Good morning, Adrian. Thanks for having me. We also have Simon Liao, co-founder of Happiness Initiative, which is a social enterprise dedicated to promoting happiness and well-being in Singapore and the region. Welcome to the show, Simon. Hi, good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me, too. Okay, before we start, I have to ask the both of you. Are you happy? Maybe, um, Professor? I, I probably first, then. Uh, yeah, I am very happy. Thank you very much for asking. Um, on a scale of 0 to 10, I guess I'm about an 8. And you, Simon? On a scale of 0 to 10, right? Seeing 0 being my worst, 10 being my best, I think I'm on a 9, I think. Wow, very, very happy indeed. Simon, well, let's get uh, your thoughts on this year's rankings by the UN. I mean, netizens have cast doubt over the survey findings, with some even dismissing the results as an absolute joke. I think, right, Singapore w- would have done well, okay, because, you know, based on the survey, when they ask, right, uh, it's on the scale of 0 to 10, and 0 being your worst possible life and 10 being your best, right? And I think because we come out, we fare better than a lot of our neighboring countries in terms of the pandemic. If we really look around and on high side, right, and we look at how our government have handled it and how we have come out of the pandemic so much stronger than our neighboring country, I don't think it's surprising that we do, we may have inched ourselves up higher in terms of happiness. And Prof, any thoughts on that? Well, um, it also depends on how the survey was conducted as well. Well, so first of all, it's not very surprising. If we look at what, uh, just to echo what Simon said, um, the World Happiness Report tends to report one of the indicators of well-being or happiness, as you call it. This measure that they used was basically the best or worst possible life. So if you were to consider 0 to 10, 10 being the best possible life, where would you be? And this kind of indicator tend to be correlated with, you know, incomes and the prosperity. And of course, Singapore does very, very well on the global stage. But I'm sure that if we were to look at the other indicators, which they don't tend to report, things like um, mental health and purpose and meaningfulness in life, uh, we might not 
perform as well compared to other countries. But I guess we have to look at the data a bit more. To me, it's not that surprising. Let's talk about a little bit more about that, Prof. You did a doctorate about the economics of happiness at the University of Warwick. Share your perspectives yep. in terms of economic growth and happiness. Do they increase in tandem? And how would you measure well-being or happiness? When I do my research and my, my friends do my research, um, we tend to look at three different broad dimensions of well-being. So happiness being one of them and life satisfaction being what the whole happiness reports have been collecting. So we call that cognitive well-being. And those kind of measures we ask, you know, to evaluate our life. How's it going? Are we meeting our kind of sets of standards and expectations? This indicator tends to be correlated a lot with you know, how well we're doing financially, whether we have a good social relationship. There's a lot of inequality in the country. And then there are two other broad measures. Uh, so the other one is basically what we call affective well-being, and that's day-to-day emotional health. Are we laughing a lot today? Are we feeling anxious and worried? Um, and those tend to be correlated with how we spend our day. So if you spend a lot of time commuting and working, that's going to be quite low. And then there's another final indicator we call eudaimonic well-being, and that is to do with purpose and meaningfulness. Do we feel like the things we're doing at the moment has purpose? So that, again, tends to be correlated a lot with whether we do something for the society, uh, whether we do things for the environment. So as you can imagine, all of these have very different indicators. But if we were to just focus on what the World Happiness Report tend to say, and you know, which is life satisfaction, mm-hmm. whether that correlates with income growth, not really, <laughs> unfortunately. Mm-hmm. People tend to care a lot more about relative income, whether do I earn more than other people. So uh, when we talk about income growth, it tends to be absolute income growth. And maybe that explains why we don't do as well, because in Singapore, there are a lot of inequality out there, and we still care a lot about what other people earn. Absolutely. A team of scientists in the US recently published their paper which found that happiness continues to increase with incomes higher than $75,000, contradicting the widely reported idea of happiness plateau. I mean, Simon, let's weigh in on this first. On an individual level, can money buy happiness? Up to a certain level, I would think. Okay, based on the report that you just mentioned about 75,000 US dollar, right? It was a study done by Kahneman. So based on that report, what, what he was trying to suggest is that, you know, money can buy happiness up to a certain level when all your basic needs are met. Beyond that, you need a lot more things, like what Professor have just shared, right? Like eudaimonic happiness, you know, purpose, meaningfulness, that money can buy, right? You could have all the money in the world, right? But what if you're living a life without purpose, without a sense of meaning, without feeling that you contribute to something bigger than yourself, right? That has put a cap. So whatever money you have would be able to satisfy you up to a level where all basic needs are met. Beyond that, you need a lot more other things. Professor, your thoughts on this? Well, just to add to Simon's point, um, which is completely correct, if money doesn't buy your happiness, then you're not really spending it right. So there's a lot of studies mm-hmm. now that, that come out now that because when you're spending money the wrong way, one of the classic studies has shown that if you spend money on materialistic goods, it tends not to increase your happiness as much as if you were to spend it on experience. So experience spending is a lot better for our well-being. Spending on others is a lot better than spending on ourselves. And buying things that we don't get today. So for example, you're spending money um, to go on a holiday that you will go in about three, four months time. That's actually a lot better than having something now and then pay it later. Because then you can anticipate the good things that will come in the future. So, so there's a lot of literature now and lots of studies now to show that how to spend money better for your well-being. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, you just read my mind. I was going to say we can book a holiday. That's a better investment, actually. Uh, Simon, let's go back to you. You co-founded a social enterprise called the Happiness Initiative. So you have cracked the happiness code, I'm guessing. Tell us more about what this happiness initiative is all about. 
Okay, uh, it's a social enterprise. We want to make well-being scales, right? A lot of these research, there are tons and tons of research as uh, noted by Professor, right, uh, out there about what we can do to be happier. And we, what we wanted to do is to make all these research accessible to the public, the community, the workplace. So we, one of the biggest programs that we have just launched uh, in partnership with MCCY is the Wellbeing Circle. It is a 12 weeks program. Uh, people come together, uh, learn well-being skills, and they go back and put these well-being skills to practice in their life and in their community. So far, right, uh, based on the initial result, is uh, we have a randomized control group. Uh, based on the results, uh, people improve on, in well-being skills and also well-being outcomes, such as they're happier, lower depressive symptoms, anxiety symptoms. So, very, very good outcomes. So, basically, well-being skills can be learned and well-being skills can make us more pro-social and kinder. All right, I'd like to go back to the United Nations survey. Finland is known for its extensive welfare system, high trust in the authorities and low levels of inequality among its 5.5 million inhabitants. What are they doing right that uh, led them to being named the happiest country in the world for the sixth straight time? Prof? I think they got a lot of combinations of things correct. As you said, the social welfare system is great mm-hmm. in Scandinavia in general. There's very low inequality, so they're very egalitarian there. And so they don't have this fear of, I guess, what we in Asia in general have, that you know, we don't want to be left behind, we, we need to pursue, we can't stop. The fact they probably get to sleep a lot more than we do, like Adrian said, actually definitely help. Um, and the education system is great. Um, I mean, Singapore education system is also very, very good, but it's a lot of competitiveness and competition going on. Finland, for example, they know that not to have that. Um, they have very little homework. They focus more on the learning itself. And actually, I think they... Um, not only do they report higher life satisfaction in general, they also report higher satisfaction in a lot of other things that to do with either income, either to do with education, either to do with marital status, for example. Mm-hmm. But So they do have a lot of things, right? And just to add very, very quickly to that, what the other possible explanations as to why Finland, Denmark, Norway tend to do well, um, there's a study by Andrew Oswald and Eugenio Proto in the UK that finds that they might also have this genetic advantage for well-being. For some unexplainable reason, on average, the citizens have a lot less, say, for example, cortisol that highly correlated with stress. So all those things kind of work well for them. But if you were to ask me um, how could Singapore compete, I think Singapore is already doing a lot right in terms of objectively, you know, objective standard of living. But uh, in terms of competitiveness within among ourselves, you know, it could lead us to overworking, overstressing. Something could probably be addressed there, I think. Yeah, we just need more time off. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. absolutely. Um, It will come in very handy. Uh, You know, before we wrap this up, let's talk about how we can define happiness, the rankings actually. Are they culturally biased? I mean, should they be taking into account how different cultures think about happiness when it comes to measuring the well-being and life satisfaction? I want to throw the example of Bhutan there, which pioneered the notion of gross national happiness over gross domestic product in 1972. They don't ever top the list of global happiness rankings. Simon, let's get your thoughts on this. Um, how do we measure happiness? Well, I think, like earlier on, Professor Kamp like, mentioned the two terms, right? hedonic and eudaimonic. Hedonic talks about like a bit of your emotions, uh, and then you could have the 
the emotional part, the affective part, and also the cognitive part. So sometimes we ask people, you know, like a list of positive and negative emotions, right? Asking them how they feel, that's one way. We could ask people how satisfied they are, how they evaluate their life. That's a more cognitive way, right? Then there's also the eudaimonic happiness, whereby we ask people about purpose and meaning. So we could tap on different constructs of happiness. Generally, if we ask a lay person how happy you are, right? We are more likely to think about positive emotions or negative emotions. Sometimes, if we ask them to think about how satisfied they are, they take a much longer-term perspective. You know, taking their whole life in totality, looking at their family, their work, they will kind of give you a rating on how satisfied they are. That's how we measure happiness. Now, on the topic about Bhutan and about some of these countries that I've been to, right? And even I just came back from Bali, but I think that the people there are tremendously happy, generous, very generous, great social support, and they they feel that even given all the limitations that they have, they do have certain degree of autonomy to make their life choices. So I think what Singapore lacks uh, for all the good things that we have, right? Perhaps what we can do better. Um, inch us closer to our Nordic uh, counterparts would be maybe uh, work on freedom to make life choices, a bit more social support and maybe greater generosity. Quick thoughts from you, Professor. Uh, it is a little bit, I mean, I, I do agree with Simon as well, but that's why I would like to emphasize and reiterate that we need to look at the other dimension of well-being as well, because let's say if you were to look at the measure that look at daily emotional health, I don't think Singaporeans would fare as well. So you can imagine if we ask you know, what's possible life and the best possible life. Like I said, it's correlated a lot with objective standard of living, and we do have a good objective standard of living. But we know that there's a lot of studies out there that show, for example, unemployed people are really dissatisfied with their life, but they can still have a good day. They can still have a very good mental health, the way that they spend their time. So I would say that we should not just only look at this life satisfaction or life evaluation, because like you said, it can be culturally biased as well. Expectations play a huge part in this, but also look at how do we spend our days in here in Singapore. And I think we're going to get a much more complete, holistic picture of our well-being if we do that. Very, very interesting conversation there. Thank you very much, both of you. We've been speaking to Nick Pautawi, Professor of Economics at Nanyang Technological University, and Simon Liao, co-founder of Happiness Initiative, which is a social enterprise dedicated to promoting happiness and well-being in Singapore and the region. I feel happier already. Thank you, guys. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.